Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Mike Sasaki, VP of Customer Success and Support, and Tyler Ramsey, Senior Customer Success Manager at MyTech. In this episode, we talked about what MyTech is and what they do, why Mike and Tyler made the decision to shift their onboarding flow, and the steps they took to implement their new onboarding program in order to mitigate churn. We also discussed the single metric MyTech uses to measure the ROI CSMs deliver to the business and how they decided on that specific metric, how their CSM reduces the time to value, and Mike also explains why every CSM team should have their own data analyst. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. You these, these don't just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Mike. Hey, Tyler. Welcome to the show. Great. Thank you for having us. Really excited to be talking about uh, churn mitigation and onboarding. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, thanks uh, for the listeners. Uh, Mike is the VP of Global Head and of Customer Success and Support, and Tyler is a Senior Customer Success Manager at MidTech Systems, the global leader in mobile capture and digital identity verification. MidTech is a publicly traded company that has just passed the $100 million mark and serves companies like Airbnb, Instacart, and PayPal. So my first question for you both is, what does MidTech do exactly? Yeah, I'll take that one. So MyTech is well known for their check deposit or mobile deposit product. So if you've ever deposited a check with your phone on your bank's app, then you've used MyTech, your MyTech customer. We also have a product that is growing rapidly, especially during these COVID times, and it's related to identity verification in the digital channel. So if you stay at an Airbnb, you may be asked to scan in your driver's license or passport uh, to prove your identity and then take a selfie as well to prove that you're the person on the uh, the identity document. So it's a way to enable trust and safety and ensure that these platforms are, are safe to uh, transact on. Yeah. And uh, so how old is the company now? We are 30 plus years old. So we actually started wow. in the 80s and we were related to the, or well, we're working in the, I believe the defense industry. And we've had a long history of re-evolving or evolving. And then the iPhone came out. That's when the mobile check deposit business first started and really took off. 
Oh, interesting. So you've had to constantly chase product market fit. And I think one of the things we talked about on the show a few times is how it's a moving target. And uh, as the market evolves, you need to be evolving. So it sounds like you must have some interesting stories as well at MyTech. Cool. Today we discussed an interesting topic, I think, coming from perspectives. And the reason we have Mike and Tyler on the show is we'll be looking at an initiative that they put on together to improve the customer onboarding and having Mike serve and answer questions from the leadership sort of side, more strategic, and then Tyler really going into the details of how they went about implementing this program. And so maybe first question, like, Let's start off of like, why did you decide to really take a look at the onboarding flows that you had? Yeah, I could take that one. We're looking at our book of business. We, we, of course we had some churn and that's usually um, the case when you're trying to figure out what can you put in place to help fight that churn, mitigate that churn. But one of the bigger pieces of the, the puzzle or the, one of the bigger problems was that customers may not be churning, but they weren't very successful either. And if you're a transaction-based uh, company like MyTech is, or if you are really trying to expand customers like all software companies are, you really need to solve for that. And that was the, one of the biggest problems and reasons why we put in this onboarding program is trying to figure out how can we mitigate churn and how can we uh, get, get customers to a successful state faster and ready to expand? Yeah, and maybe just a couple other things to add to that. We, Like Mike said, MyTech has been around for a long time. The line of business that we spend most of our time working on, the identity verification, is relatively new. Been by that in the last five years or so, just in the market in general. So customer success supporting that, we're, we're only a few years in really at MyTech. So we've gone through the the process that I think a lot of CSM orgs have gone through as they've gotten spun up of uh, number one is just cover the customers and just put out fires and fight back churn. So we went through that. And then as we evolved as an org, we thought right now we have a customer coming in, we put a CSM on them and that CSM manages them throughout their lifespan with my tech. We found that's not really the most efficient way of doing things. So it's, yeah, we're phase one, but how do we grow this thing and really um, fine-tune the experience for our customer depending on where they're at in their life cycle. So this is also just an evolution of, of really the way we manage customers. Yeah, very interesting. I was going to ask you a similar question, so you answered before I asked it. So the thing then as well, I was interested uh, to find out a little bit about what would you say is the majority of your interaction with your customers? Would you say it's like predominantly a high touch or do you, you have a mix between high and low touch? We've Tyler and I have been at MyTech now for coming up on four years, and much like other customer success orgs, you dabble in the low-touch, tech-touch idea that you could support customers that way. What we found for MyTech and what I found at other places that I've worked at as well is just high-touch works, and it's something that we do well, and it's very clear on what you're trying to achieve and you know what you need to do that. And so that's the model that, that we have in place now. So predominantly focus on high touch. And then I'm assuming obviously as a result, like the ARPA for your typical customer is relatively high to support the high touch uh, model. Yeah, certainly does need to be high in order to, to justify a high touch model like that. Yeah. So let's dive into it a little bit then. And maybe Tala, uh, you can take this one. Like, how did you go about in the beginning? So you mentioned five years at the company now. This is a relatively new product. It's early days. You're putting out fires. Like, when was the moment in time that you took a sit back and said, okay, let's start putting together this onboarding program. Let's start getting a little bit more organized. And what were your first steps? 
Yeah, so there were a couple things we did a year and a half ago that really made it evident to us that we we were going to need to shift the way we're doing things. One, we took some time and reassessed our CSM's book of business, right? How many are they covering? And obviously, the goal we all have is how can we have CSM produce the same results, but support more customers, right? Just in, in improving the cost of CSM. So that's obviously something that's always in the back of our mind. At the same time, we looked really deeply in into the types of engagements that we were having with our customers and where those engagements were happening. So we we did some really detailed tracking around the types of meetings, the, the, the outcomes from those meetings, the action items that came for those meetings, how much value is really coming out of them, all those things throughout the customer lifecycle and really dove into where are the most significant engagements taking place. Because obviously a high touch model, you can meet with your customers two, three times a week and CSMs feel like if they're doing that, they're doing a good job. And in a lot of cases they are, but but where is the value really coming from? So that's really what it was. We looked at how do we manage all of our customers better and where is the time being spent? Which things can we remove and where can we focus our energy for the best outcomes? So that kind of got us thinking about how we can shift this thing. Yeah. So it, it sounds as well a little bit like the first initial was like first initial attempt was really about how can we reduce costs and maximize like the return we're getting from each CSM. Are you measuring sort of the ROI in any other way besides reducing the costs essentially by being able to serve more customers? Like is the CSM team actively tracking the ROI that they deliver to the business? We are in a sense, and Mike, I'm sure you have a lot to say to this. We went through that exercise too of our, what are the, the metrics that we're really going to focus on? And we came up with, obviously, we spent some time looking at time to value. What does that metric really mean? What does it mean at my tech going to be different at every customer? We decided we we're going to simplify things and focus in on a single metric that, that we call time to a successful in production, a state of successful in production, which for us, there's a couple of KPIs that roll up into that. But in short, it's when are customers getting their ROI? When are they they operating at a transaction volume? Because we're a SaaS model, a transaction volume high enough to where they can justify the cost that they're paying my tech. And what we found before is that, yeah, we were heavily engaged with customers, but that time was dragging on and on. And maybe a three-year term with the customer, they were only getting value out of us for the last year and a half, which is just not acceptable. So that was the big metric we looked at. How do we condense that time as much as possible? And we put that on our CSMs as their primary goal of shortening that window. Mike, you probably have something to add to that. Yeah, it's really about finding that one metric. And I think as CS leaders and CS orgs tend to overcomplicate things. And so um, working with Tyler, he helped me understand that this is really the metric we need to, to track. And, and, and then it was my job to sell that to the rest of the, uh, the executive staff. And so that, that's how we got it done. And for us, it's a great metric. It's easy to track. We can do it out of Tableau, no manual work involved really. And yeah, so it's working for us. And why this metric specifically? Is there any sort of correlation, causation to any upside for the customer retention? Or how did you get to choosing this specific metric? Yeah, Tyler, why don't, why don't you take that one since that, this is your, your metric that you brought to us? Sure. The primary reason is at MyTech, our, our onboarding and, and implementation is really, the work is very focused on the customer side. There's a lot of development work that needs to be done. However, they, they start paying us on day one. They start paying us when they sign the contract. So there's going to be an implementation time when they're continuing to invest resources uh, in addition to the, the money that they're paying my tech, but they're getting nothing back. And just logically, the longer that window goes, the 
the more difficult it's going to be for the customer to, 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 to one, receive any sort of ROI, but also just their perception of my tech, the, the level of kind of entanglement their internal systems have with my tech, all those things get pushed back the longer that time drags on, just the worse everything is, right? The worse the state of the relationship is, the, the more they've now invested, the higher their, their, their internal expectations are going to be of getting something back. So really, we looked at what's the one thing we can do to just improve everything about our engagement with our customers, the health of the customer, the ROI, what's the simplest way to improve that? And really, it's get them live as quickly as possible. Because one, they're operating, they're getting value. But also because my tech is uh, operating in the fraud space, we're the biggest ROI they get is fraud prevention downstream for loan applications or account openings or digital onboarding or whatever that may be. The quicker we get up in there, the, the quicker we can start preventing fraud for them. And then everyone at the customer buys in and then Mike's the greatest thing in the world. So we just looked at it as we got to get them up and running. We got to get them live. And that solves so many of our problems. And I think at a basic level, it's a sign of adoption, right? The more that they're transacting with you. And the one thing that we've done this year, which I'd recommend to all customer success leaders, is bring in a data analyst onto your team. I think as CS leaders, we're used to, or as a CS org, we're used to sharing resources or borrowing resources. This way, we have a data analyst on our team and we have access to everything that he or she is doing related to data. And as he put it, they have to put, these customers have to put the transaction somewhere. And so if they are transacting at a high level and a meaningful level, then you know they're going to think twice about leaving because they have to put those transactions somewhere. So getting them, getting customers to a level of adoption where they have to think twice about putting those transactions at a competitor potentially uh, is meaningful. Yeah, that was going to be my next question as well. Like, it sounds as well logical that this was the metric to pick from a retention perspective as well, because I, I'm assuming that once somebody is set up and running, you must have pretty strong retention on the other side because you baked into their operating system. The switching cost becomes high in terms of that initial uh, development that needs to uh, work in terms of integration. So what does it look like for you once somebody has activated and you've shortened that time to value? Is it really a switching point where you have net negative retention? Yeah, absolutely. So once they've hit successful in production, that can kick off a playbook of expansion, right? A playbook of references, playbook of case studies, things like that. And interestingly enough, if you put this target in front of a customer, they start to believe that they are successful. And that is a metric that you could drive towards together. So it is meaningful in hitting it and then turning that into expansion. And there's there's a, a visceral reaction to this that our customers have too. We looked at the data around where our CSM is being engaged and what's the ideal time in each phase along this journey to successful in production. But even just anecdotally talking to CSMs about their sponsors or their champions on the customer side, what do they want from us? And 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 we always talk about wanting to be heavily engaged with our customers. We want to be their advocates. We want to be their partners, and that's true. But on the customer side, the vast majority of the time, there's a person who's working with us managing the project to get this implemented, but they have their other job to do. We like to think they want to be engaged and they want to partner with us on growth and all that. The reality is that a lot of the time, it's a person who just wants to get the thing up and running. They want to get it working so that they can just 
go about what their real job is. They want it to work, but they want us to be on the back burner. And we found by working with the CSMs that, yeah, we're heavily engaged. We're very white touch or, or white glove, high touch later on in the process, but we have vastly more impact on the customer's outcomes in that first three to four month period than we do probably for the remainder of the, the following two and a half years of a three-year term. So that's where we have the impact. That's where we can move the needle on, on everything that's going to happen afterwards. So let's focus on that. Yeah. You mentioned, both of you mentioned a couple of times now the three-year term, and I think that's quite an interesting length. Do you offer any other terms besides like shorter terms or what is the thinking behind the long-term uh, lock-in? Yeah, I, I think it's funny you mentioned that because then I, I sort of think about maybe that's what birthed this onboarding program. So we, when we first started, there were uh, one-year terms, there were six-month terms, there were what felt like day-to-day -day terms where the customer can terminate whenever they wanted to for any reason. And so you had to nail the onboarding program and, and perhaps that's what, what, what drove us to really focus on the onboarding program because that was what we were being measured by daily. And we do offer, we did offer other terms, much like the evolution of a lot of software companies, you tend to settle at a three-year committed term or a five-year committed term, if you're lucky. Yeah, and I'd imagine as well, like listening to what you're saying in terms of the setup costs uh, to you, it wouldn't make sense as well for you to invest the resources to get a customer set up and then have them cancel like a couple of months later. And then, so the time to value metric that you're focused on, it's really about making sure that they can up that transaction rates as fast as possible and make sure they're getting set up. But how much of that can actually be influenced by a CSM? Because from listening to you two, it sounds like there's some technical implementation needs to be done. And like, what are you doing from a CSM's perspective to reduce that time to value? Yeah, I'll have Tyler talk to that. I would say when you were talking just now, I was thinking about the transaction. Yeah, it's one metric or it's one number, but there's a lot of trust built into the transaction, right? There's a customer experience built in the transaction. There's a lot that goes into that one number and that's why it's so valuable. But as far as uh, your question, Tyler, why don't you take that one? Yeah, it's a good question because that's the question, right? We only have so much influence. Uh, they have their own resources. They have their own timelines. So the real challenge that we face day to day is the obvious one of how, what can we leverage? How much force can we exert to really speed up timelines if the customer, you know, isn't motivated to, and we hope that they are, but you know how it goes. Sometimes they have competing priorities. So we focused on a few different things. Like Mike said, we're very heavily uh, invested with data analysts within our team. So they do some internal things as well as external things. One is we set some benchmarking standards, best practices for onboarding based on different verticals, because we have customers in hospitality or in financial services or a variety of, of verticals. And obviously their internal resources are going to vary and their timelines are going to vary. So what is correct for each type of customer? We spend a lot of time determining that. And then we share that information with our customer. Someone like you should be up and running in this amount of time and here's why, break down the different phases and why they're able to do that. So we try to make that case with data and that seems to be pretty successful. We've also invested very heavily in product and domain education upfront. And what I mean by that is that there's always gonna be an internal handoff on the customer side after the sale is made, right? There's a, a procurement person and a executive sponsor who bought the product. Now we're handed off to a product team or an operational team who is standing this up. The 
the loss of knowledge there is very dangerous to us in terms of how our products integrate with their internal processes, their compliance, their fraud controls, all those things. So instead of a model where we're incrementally sharing best practices over the course of the relationship, we would take them to school at the very beginning, educate everybody on the product goals, on the product KPIs, on if you implement the product correctly, here's the value you get. If you implement the product incorrectly, here's some horror stories about things that can go wrong. So try to handle all of that, like literally within the, the first couple weeks, and then it trickles throughout onboarding, but really heavily front load those things. So they understand the KPIs, they understand the success criteria that customers like them have. And then we've, we've really shifted the engagement model that we have. So we talked a little bit about and this might be the most significant thing we changed. We talked a little bit about our the engagement we had, which I think is pretty standard. Customer signs and they get a, a CSM for the course of their engagement with MyTech. We blew up that model. So our CSMs now only get engaged with the customer six months after they've signed, which is the end of our onboarding window. So for the duration of from when they signed through that six-month window, we created a new role, at least a new role at MyTech, a customer onboarding manager which is really a project manager with some CSM experience, with domain expertise as well. So we, we run it very much like a project. We embed them within our customer's team. They coordinate internally and externally. It's not standard CSM stuff for that first six months. It's very much managing a project, getting them live, and then there's a handoff that takes place. And this person, would they be uh, like almost like a solutions engineer as well in the sense that be technical too, or you would have somebody as well brought in for the implementation phase? So we have a variety of resources. We, we do have solutions uh, architects uh, who operate separately from our CSM org. Obviously, we, we partner with them. And then we have our data team. So the project manager, project manager takes point and coordinates all those internal resources. Nice. And you've both mentioned the data team a few times. So I want to dive into this a little bit and hear the, the reasoning behind it again and uh, how it's structured. So you mentioned, Mike, that it's a good uh, piece of advice to for any CS org to have data team implemented within their uh, org structure. How are you currently structured? Like how big is the data team within customer success? It's one person um, that we brought on this fiscal year. I brought this person on with the idea of we will test it out. I we knew it would work and it has. And then we're our plan is to grow this 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 team and then make it available to the go-to-market team, right? So not just customer success, because now it's become very obvious that this person understands our business, understands customers, understands the data. And why would we keep that only under customer success? We will roll that out. Our plan is to roll that out to the go-to-market team next fiscal year. Yeah, and I will say that MyTech as a whole has a uh, obviously a much larger data team that coordinates with product. Um, and for a while, we tried to leverage that team, but like Mike said, it, it needed to be within our group. So we brought in that one person, obviously coordinates pretty heavily with the larger data org at MyTech, but it's really been a game changer for us. And why do you think that you need wasn't working for you uh, aligning with the product org and you needed to bring them in house? What were some of the shortfalls? Uh, we get in we get in line, right? We'd be in the queue. It didn't sit under me. Whenever the the team the data team got to our request, it got fulfilled, and we had no control over that. So as you can imagine, 
customers need answers, CSMs need answers quickly, and they're more than willing to self-serve. So that's the one of the bigger parts of this role is just setting up the ability for CSMs to self-serve so that we can get answers to the customer's questions. And also eventually it's going to be product reporting that's available to customers via a customer portal that's that lives on our website, right? So that's the vision of this role and the reason why we needed it in our org and why it wasn't working uh, previously for us. And and also, obviously, the data team at a company is going to be focused internally. They're going to be focused, how is the product performing on a global level across all customers? And that's helpful, but what we needed was not necessarily how our products performing, but how are our customers performing? So we're able to shift the focus from product features and general usage and things like that to customer-specific benchmarks leveraged against peers of theirs. And that's really where the change came in and the, the way we can tell really substantial, impactful stories to our customers is because now the data is focused on them specifically, not necessarily just all of my tech customers. Yeah. And how big is the overall data team then at my tech? That's a good question. I think it's about what four or five people. Is that right, Tyler? Something like, yeah, somewhere between five and 10, I'll bet. Yeah. And how is then the person you've brought now into data working with the data team overall? Is there any interaction between this person and the rest of the data team? Uh, There are when we need like data sources built, things like that. But as far as uh, once that data source is built, then he's off and running and everything's within his control. And so it's really nice. Okay. And bringing this person, you mentioned this fiscal year, but did you mean 2020 or 2021? Because it's been only 11 days in this year. 2020. Yeah. So in 2020, bringing this person in, what did you get them to start with first? What was the first thing on their list, ending list? But what was the first thing that was the most priority to get them started with? Man, testing my memory. So I would, I think it was going back to operational efficiency with the CSMs. What reports are the CSMs constantly having to create individually and manually, right, out of Tableau? And how can we make it so that the CSM can come into Tableau, press a button, and the reports, the standard reports are delivered on the PowerPoint that's approved by marketing, as you can imagine. That's difficult at times. A lot of these systems, you press export to PowerPoint, and it looks terrible. So that was one of the first things that that he tackled was that standard reporting and just making sure that the CSM's lift is a lot less than it was prior to him joining. And so these reports are just the standard reports you'd be sharing with your customers. You mentioned earlier in terms of their performance and how their account is doing and how they're utilizing your service. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And with a big focus on benchmarking as well, because every CSM I know it's like that in my tech, the number one question you get asked is, what are your other customers doing? And at least in my tech, we had a hard time answering that. So the big shift there was not only here's your performance, but here's your performance relative, again, to your peers and other customers in your vertical. And here's why you're doing better. Here's why you're doing worse. It let us give significant guidance. And I would say one more thing is that that's a good point, Tyler. And the way we worked with this data analyst was it wasn't a lot of us just giving him direction. Hey, I need this report. I need that report. The agreement that we had was come in. You understand our business. You've worked in product engineering at MyTech. Listen to our customers, sit in on calls and tell us how you can help us. Just giving him that room to be creative and that a trust that whatever he's going to produce is going to help us. And sure enough, it did. So there, of course, there are parts of the role where it's, I need this report, I need that report. 
but a lot of it is him understanding our business and coming to us and saying, why are we not showing this type of report to customers or we can look at the data this way? So that's been super helpful. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think it's a lot more impactful than just uh, churning out reports is really like having this overarching view and really being a little bit creative with the data. Because I think more often than not, like analysts get caught up in requests when the impact can be so much more if they take a step back and take a look and say, okay, what can we automate? What can we bring? What data sources can we bring together to provide additional value? Like, uh, I think a lot of organizations underutilize talented analysts in that way. So good to hear that you giving them the freedom to work. Yeah, and we hear that from customers who come over to us from competitors is that, yeah, your competitors gave us reports as a PDF that they got once a month that they maybe would look at it and maybe they wouldn't. So we decided early on that wasn't going to work for us. If we were going to share data, it was going to be for a specific reason and to impel our customers to do something specific. Very nice. I see we're running up on time. So I have a couple of questions that I ask every guest that joins the show. So the first question, and I'll pose it to both of you obviously again, but let's imagine a hypothetical scenario that you join a new company and churn and retention is not doing great at this company. The CEO comes to you and says, we need to turn things around. We have 90 days. We want to get some quick results. They put you in charge. What are you going to do in the first 90 days? Tyler, you take this one and I'll think of my answer. (laughs) Um, the first thing you have to do is understand why right we talked about this andrew before before the podcast started is that it's tough to go in there with blanket strategies you have to understand the specific business the specific customer the specific products and understand what's going on so I, i i would start looking at customer customer transaction volumes or whatever the kpi of that that product would be and where are they falling off? Is it that they never ramp up? Is it they plateau? Is it that they're never getting value? You have to understand really what's going on and then break that down even further to find out where customers hitting obstacles. Because in my view, customers want to be successful, right? They probably want to be more successful than we want them to be. Something's getting in the way. Something is causing an obstacle that, that keeps them from getting there. First 90 days, you got to really deeply understand what that is and then put a plan in place to remove those obstacles. I would, that, that's absolutely true. I, I can just think back about my own experience. When you go to, uh, or they say, when you go to prison, you pick a fight with the biggest guy and, and everyone leaves. So similarly, when you join a company, 90 days is not enough. So you need to buy yourself more time. So how do you do that? You take the biggest customer that's red and you turn them around. And so... Typically what happens at companies that are that have a churn problem or bring in customer success for the first time, or maybe it's a refresh, is that they're trying, everyone's involved, products involved, engineers talking to customers, sales is talking to customers, everyone's running around. There's a lot of requests from the customers that have been made to you. And you've said, maybe we can do that. Maybe we can't. There's not much clarity. And so your job as the first customer success person coming in is really to take that red customer and either turn them around quickly or start to turn them around and make sure that you're protecting everyone else's time. So product and engineering should not be meeting with customers. The answer to the customer is no, we're not going to do that. Sales should not be doing the customer success job. They should be selling so you can remove them from that as well. And any customer success leader that's worth hiring as the first customer success person at a company is able to take a customer from red to green. That's not super hard to do. But the the effect of it internally is that you're some sort of magician that you did that. And sure enough, you will get longer than 90 days to 
to really dive into the things that Tyler mentioned. So that would be my approach. Yeah, uh, it's interesting that you say as well, as the first customer success leader coming in, there's so many different people speaking to the customer and just centralizing that focus, taking everybody else off the, the table and just giving the customer one channel uh, to communicate, I think is definitely a big pain reliever, I think, for customers. Because I know in my own experience, like working with different companies, like uh, purchasing different products, and you end up speaking to five or six different people at any given time. And you end up getting lost. Who should I actually be coordinating with? So when you, is there lack of a really good customer success org? You definitely do feel the pain as a customer. You could say no to customers, right? And I think that's new to, to a company. Yeah. When you come in and say no, they're a little afraid that, oh man, you're, you said no, they're going to leave, but they won't leave. Yeah, but I probably wouldn't take your advice on picking a fight to the biggest person in prison because I'm not, <laughs> I'll probably be the smallest guy in prison. It wouldn't end well for me. But the next question that I have for both of you is what's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew you got when you got started with your careers? I'll take that one and give you an opportunity to think of, a, of an answer, Tyler. So as far as what I know about churn now that I didn't know earlier in my career that I wish I did is that there's there's good churn, right? And you need to work at a company that understands that philosophy. There is good churn. There's a break even with customers. And if you can't hit that break even, or if you don't even know what that is, you're in trouble. And if your if your company does not believe that there's good churn, then it's your job as a leader to convince and to help others understand there is such a thing as good churn. And there's, I think a lot of companies talk about, yeah, we're willing to churn customers, when it, but when it comes down to it, a lot of companies lack the guts to do that. I'm fortunate enough, we're fortunate enough to work at a company where that's widely understood. And our resources, just like every other customer or company internally, are uh, scarce. And we need to use those resources in a smart way on those customers that can actually be successful and we'll be able to retain and expand. Yeah, it's an interesting take. I think because a lot of times we talk about the problem being on the sales end, where sales are closing deals that should never be closed and aren't really good customer fits. But then having sort of that power on the other end of customer success, when you realize that uh, the ROI is not there, that a customer is chewing up too much time and resources and uh, not delivering value to the business, like it's interesting to take that you can actually have that freedom to understand when to, if you want to put it another way, fire customers. Right. And there's very rarely a situation where you, a customer is about to churn and it's all hands on deck and you, you fight, you, you, you scratch to keep that customer and then everything's fine. That customer is going to be a resource drain forever if they're in that situation where they're so close to, to churning. And then a year from now, if they're up for renewal, you're in the exact same situation. You, you got to target your resources where they can do the most good for the business. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, it's been a pleasure having you both on the show today. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of or how to keep up to date with you too? Yeah, I'd like to. One thing I'd like to share is that when you're looking at a problem at a company or within your customer success org with the customers and your CS leader, I would turn to your team those that actually do the job every day to come up with the solution. I think a lot of times I see customer success leaders try to come up with a solution and then push it down. I think it needs to work the other way. That's my one recommendation for uh, CS leaders that might be listening to this podcast. Nice. Cool. Thanks very much, guys. I wish you best of luck now going into 2021. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. 
I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.